This episode of the Backside Ground Balls podcast is presented by The Performance Academy. For all of your athletic training needs, train with purpose at The Performance Academy. TPA houses a number of training resources from private baseball and softball instruction to team sports performance classes. Utilize advanced technologies like output sports, hit tracks, and TrackMan to take your game to the next level. On top of our elite staff and advanced technological capabilities, be a part of the TPA family and take advantage of the many resources our facility has to offer. Want to go to a game? How about a concert? How about going to see classical music? Whatever you're into, there's only one place to get your tickets. Thankfully, we are partnered with SeatGeek, the essential resource for live events. For any of your ticket needs, make sure you go over to SeatGeek.com and use the code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. Again, that is SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first purchase. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. For all of your clothing needs, athleisure, the sickest baseball gear you can get. We're talking hoodies, shorts, sweatpants, sunglasses, hats, any baseball style you can imagine. Routine Baseball has it, and we are now partnered with them. All you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball. That's a mouthful, so I'm going to say it again. It's routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have you will receive 10 percent off your order today one more time routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10 percent off your order today powered by riverside Welcome back to the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Dan Galati. Super fun weekend of baseball that we just witnessed. A lot of super good games around the country. Dan, how are we doing on this fine Monday afternoon? Doing well. Excited for the pod. Oh, that's, that's the enthusiasm we're looking for. Sounds like a guy who just worked an eight-hour shift. I thought there was some good enthusiasm there. I didn't no. think that. I thought there was. I thought there was some decent juice. Now I'm excited to be here. Happy to be here. Another good weekend of college baseball. Pull the listeners there. Everybody, let us know. Was Dan or was he not enthusiastic in his happy to be here uh, comment there? So obviously, as you mentioned, there was a lot of good baseball across the uh, country this past weekend. A lot of big weekend series, a couple in particular that we were able to tune into and and one in particular in East Carolina and the University of North Carolina that we were at on Friday night. Um, Another good series that we're going to recap is TCU UCLA and a couple of the the um, tournament invitational round robin invitationals at some different spots across the country that we're also going to dive into. Uh, But first, again, as we did last week, I didn't hear any credit. So obviously we learned that Goldie Beacon people do not listen till the end of the podcast because oh, that was no, when no, I no. threw I the forgot, cafeteria I for, food. I forgot to mention to you, we, we got a text 
during the week about that. I forgot to bring that up. So that confirmed. I got a text. Let me see if I can. This is bad podcasting. I'll go back in. Uh, taking a little bit literally. Goldie has average cafe food, probably better than most schools. Uh, I'm not going to repeat that. Uh, enjoy the Lemoyne talk. <laughs> okay. So we did confirm that uh, we did have a listener that tuned in until the back end of the podcast, but another three in one weekend for the bolts in Cary, North Carolina. It's the last trip that they're going to be in our neck of the woods. So, you know, shout out to the bolts, shout out to them as they get heading home back into Northeast standards and, and where warm weather becomes 42 and cloudy and enjoyed the time that they were down here, but good three in one weekend for them as well. Nothing like an early March home opener in the, in the low forties. It's just screams baseball season. Yeah, that's that's college baseball as we know it. College baseball as our listeners know it. Probably look at a, a couple games down in Baton Rouge this past weekend where everybody's got short sleeves on or, you know, in Texas and Fort Worth, Texas, where everybody it's 75 and sunny. Or, you know, even if you want to go down to the to the Florida um, area, you can find probably even better weather. But it's just written determination just so- is 40 degree weather. It is. And it's so funny to me because it's like one of those things that like it's just normal. So you don't even think about it. Uh, And I don't know if there is a solution to like, I don't know how you would possibly move these season back, especially like you play 50 to 56 games and then you have postseason play. You'd be playing into fall ball pretty much. Um, And schools obviously can't, you know, schools probably don't have the resources to keep everybody around to do that. They don't. But it's just funny that we think about like you look at Major League Baseball and and they kind of do the same thing, though, when you think about like these guys are down there in Florida right now. It's sunny. It's 70 degrees. And then like you see the Tigers and be snow flurries opening week. And it's just kind of a it's not a sport you can really play, you know, in the cold. It doesn't make sense. But it seems like a lot of early season baseball is played in terrible, terrible weather. They had there was some legislation that I believe was brought up uh, by Coach Backich, who's now obviously at Clemson. Back when he was at Michigan, where they really wanted to push to have this season into the summertime. I've always thought that there it probably would be more beneficial for it to be a fall sport. But obviously, what you're competing with at the highest of high levels, but like for D twos and D three specifically, it would probably be better as a fall sport so that you can come back and early August, start your work up and then get out there. And then you probably get a full season of really good weather, but either on either end of the spectrum, it, it ends up being, unless you pushed it into the summer, it ends up being messy, right? Because I mean, even the MLB teams, they play very, very important games in the very, very cold weather. And that just doesn't seem right either. Could you, could you imagine if they went split season like golf and tennis? I've heard split season, but yeah, that would not be, that would just be (laughs) unbelievable. But like I said, I think it would be cool to have it um, pushed back, but at the D1 level, like, again, you couldn't tell me that a small college town, like, let's just say, you know, State College, Pennsylvania or Ann Arbor, Michigan wouldn't have a huge turnout for a game in the spring. You would put more butts in the seat. I just think the logistics of it is what doesn't make sense. Well, that's that's where you come into, you know, housing and feeding that's the kids and travel and, and, just, and stuff like that, which is understandable. But I mean, if they're taking classes and just 
lump it into what they're paying to be there anyway. But I guess for a whole team and stuff like that. I, yeah, I don't and, know. and that and cool. like the the employees that um, not every school pays their employees year round, right? A lot of schools have not many contracts for their employees. So you'd have to keep more people around dining services, custodial services, like stuff like that, that now you're, you're keeping around in the summer that might be on nine month contracts. Mm-hmm. I just think logistically for a lot of schools, it would be weird, but I'm with you that you would do it a hundred percent like attendance at games would, would most certainly go up in college towns. If it, you know, when it's 85 degrees, just from the people who live there. Now you also lose the rest of the student population, whatever. Let's talk about baseball. I think this is a really good topic to talk about when we're talking about baseball, because I think it is important. And again, as we look back at this weekend, that was right. What made those weekends so special. And again, attendance is higher than it's ever been right now across college baseball through the first couple weekends. And that's specifically at places like, um, Wake Forest and schools that are kind of trending up in terms of their perception nationally. But I think there is something to be said for you see what was going on at ECU. And it was a nice day yesterday. It was a little cold, but nice little Sunday in Greenville, North Carolina. How many people turned out for an early season game? Friday night was a a pretty um, packed crowd for for no um, for a Friday night that had a rain delay. And all this stuff like that is it, it would be good to see college baseball become more of a revenue generator for these smaller schools that probably could sell more tickets if the weather was better. Again, it's like I don't blame anybody. I didn't want to be out there for an early spring game and I was playing, playing. or coaching in it. Yeah, <laughs> let alone I couldn't imagine anybody who wasn't playing or didn't have any skin in the game wanting to go out there. But again, a school like Indiana who has a really good baseball program early in the spring, when they start big 10 play, it's a nightmare for them to sell seats, to sell tickets. It's like, but you start to transition it into maybe when the weather gets warm, it might be, you might be able to compare those crowds to some of those small towns in the South that we just saw this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, I think you made a couple good points there. I think the fact that attendance is up across the whole, like I feel like last weekend I saw like at least a dozen programs tweet out attendance records for opening weekend, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Like that's, that's really cool to see that, you know, it's, it's definitely a growing product, which is really cool to see. And, and um, obviously makes us happy um, since this is what we're trying to do. Um, but also if they were to push the season back one, it would, it would stink a little bit for students, but also if this were to happen and now I'm really going to kind of, turn this conversation i just i would like them to not push back the start date of practice either because then you would have more ramp up time and i think that would be really beneficial just for arms for everybody you get more bats and i know like it's tough because everybody talks about how tired everyone is of inner squads and such um by the time opening day rolls around but we've been sitting here for two weeks talking about sloppy play early in the year they don't have as much time to ramp up, but if you could just then, you know, instead of four weeks from the start of practice to opening day, you get six weeks, seven weeks. I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think what would have to be something they would have to talk about is preseason games, basically, and allowing teams to play, um, you know, like head down to the local division two and play or head down to the junior college and play D three close. 
Yeah, and just play, be able to have like a play day. And I don't even know what NCA regulations are at the Division One level on scrimmages. I know at the Division Three, we scrimmage teams in the spring. Even um, I don't know how that translates to that level, but I'd be interested to know what the what the rules are on being able to ramp up to a season and just play other teams. Maybe like two, everybody gets two play days before you start the season. And again, the we are so off on this because baseball would have to become a revenue generator at more than just the SEC schools uh, for this to even be feasible because then it would justify them keeping people around in the summer and, and making sure those players get what they need. But it's very interesting conversation at the very least to talk about because it, it, it would be cool. Like I said, I mean, could you imagine when, when you're starting up in the Northeast that it's a day like yesterday and it's 55 and sunny? And it's just a That's beautiful I mean. day. And right. Ballparks right. packed. Everybody's bu- like, there's a little bit of a buzz to the game. You can play night games. All these schools have lights. You can actually play under the lights instead of being like, well, we don't get to play under the lights until May. It's like, no, like let's actually get some early games under the lights. Cause there's something to be said about, you know, a Friday night under the lights for a baseball field, at least from my perspective and, and just the buzz and the, and the murmur that comes from a game being on campus. You're also going to, you're also going to get a lot more people to show up at seven o'clock on Friday night instead of four. Right. Like, yeah, that, that adds to it. Um, like you said, it's, it's probably not feasible just because of the logistics that go into it. We probably won't see it anytime soon, but it's fun to talk about. I mean, I think it would be cool. I mean, who was it? Randy Maisie talking about it a couple years ago about how many more people would draw for the backyard brawl if that game was taking place in June instead of taking place in you know, Morgantown in April when it's in Morgantown, still 40 degrees in April, early April. As I've said, I wish that on nobody to go there and play in those games, let alone somebody who willingly went and, and paid their own money to sit and watch that thing. Cause let's, let's be realistic. There's a lot of standing around in baseball. And so like when it's cold, it just makes all that worse, but I don't know. It doesn't seem like anybody's avoided it. Cause I didn't even think about this when I first brought it up, but you said it, uh, Major League Baseball plays their most important games a lot of times when the weather gets cold. Yeah, that well, that that's another topic for another day. I hate that. That is the worst. Thing. Like, I hate playing in the cold, and then you play. Imagine playing a World Series game in the cold. Like, at least that's where college baseball gets it right. And again, we don't have a hundred sixty-two game season, so we can't get it it's wrong in that sense. Of, yeah. But like. The fact that baseball does play their most important games in the heat of the summer, the way baseball's supposed to be played, where like everybody's worried more about hydration and cramps than they are worried about how warm they can stay in Omaha, Nebraska. It's like that's where college baseball, like that that spectacle of everybody being able to enjoy their time outside and all the stuff like that. And really, I mean, the last time we had like a cold weather World Series was Red Sox. Last time the first Red Sox come, were in there? first one. Yeah, but they were playing Phillies, like the, uh, Phillies. Well, I was thinking, yeah, Phillies, Astros, but I was thinking like the one that always pops into my mind just because it was two was twenty six. Cleveland, Chicago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was that like, was, like, it was just it was cold. It was cold both places. Yeah, like, there was no good weather. There was like all kinds of rain. But if we polled a hundred coaches anonymously, how many would agree to that? One and two said like put a little stipulation in there. This means summer ball doesn't exist anymore. How many of those 100 coaches are like, yes? How many say no? All levels. 77. Like you can grab 100 from all different levels. 77 say yes. You think it's 77%? It's interesting. 
I don't know. I don't have an opinion. I was that was just a shot from the hip. Let's yeah, be honest yeah, yeah. with you. There's no. Yeah, because I mean, we've never. I've never talked to anyone about it. I don't think, or at least not that I can remember. So. Yeah. No, it's a fascinating idea. I would. I would enjoy it. I think I would get out to more games if it was a little bit warmer. But I mean, we get out enough because it's even it's warm down here. But it's yeah, just but like, getting. In the in the summer, I feel like you're right. Like you would get you the incentive to go oh. to a Tuesday game. Oh my gosh, a midweek game would be electric. Right. Like it would just Increases be because, always. Because by the time the game starts, it's still going to be seventy-seven. Degrees. It's a night. It's actually seven o'clock. And again, this is the reason we can have this conversation as well, um, and not make it completely useless. Is just it just shows the growth of college baseball over the last couple of years. We're breaking attendance records. We're making this sport more attractive to everybody across the country. Schools, uh, fan bases of schools are starting to turn out. Schools with traditions in other sports that are starting to see their fan bases turn out and it's not just the sec and the acc that start to see these numbers it's across the country it's nationwide right now and the growth of what college baseball has been has been great and i think that they have in the past like if it was a feasible thing i think the schedule would increase the growth a lot more but i think all things considered it's in a, it's in good hands and you're starting to see a lot of people really want to tune into college baseball and in an era where it seems like college athletics seems to be trending in the wrong direction college baseball seems to be bucking that trend and putting themselves in a good position to be a part of the future of NCAA athletics no matter what happens uh, moving forward in the foreseeable future. But obviously we talked about it. We spent 15 minutes pandering about the schedule and trying to just kill time and waste time for lack of a better term there. We mentioned we were at the game on Friday between East Carolina and UNC. It was I mean, the whole weekend was just good baseball, right? You have the two to one game. Trey Savage looks like an absolute top of the first half or top of the first round, first half of the first round um, type pick. Vance Honeycutt has a rough day. He ends up leaving the yard late in the game. Our guy, Alex Madera, a little bit of a coming out party as we continue to see him produce for uh, the Tar Heels. And then obviously ECU bounces back, right? Big win on Saturday. And then on Sunday, it was just mayhem. Back and forth, electric environment, regional feel. Um, you could tell that these two schools do not love each other. There is no love lost between between the Pirates and Tar Heels, and ECU ends up walking them off in the 10th, but that was not after UNC delivered multiple blows throughout the game and fought back in every which way. Um, but, Dan, obviously, really good three-game series. It'd be something that, wow, would it be electric to see either of them as the one seed in a in a super regional hosting at either of their places and just where they match up, that would be so cool uh, to see in this area. But what are your kind of initial thoughts from the East Carolina-UNC series? Yeah, I think it was fun because it's not one of the, you know, what this is what you want to see in non-conference weekend series. And now I know a lot of teams get their guaranteed games in bigger programs, but this is, you know, these in the, the round robin tournaments we've seen the last two weekends are, these are the fun ones. Like I said to you last week, you want to see the different logos match up. These are two clearly regional teams. You could learn way more about them than you might, you know, um, a team like Miami, Miami, who's opened the year with NJIT and LIU. You know what I mean? Like, well, I don't know how good or bad Miami really is because they haven't really been pushed or tested in any which way. I mean, I know they dropped one this this weekend, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But, you know, these two teams, you could learn a lot about them. And like you said, I think 
MLB scouts agree with us, judging by the, the contingent of them that were there on Friday night and throughout the weekend. And, like, you saw Trey Yasevich go up against the North Carolina lineup that, like, really, really has some offensive weapons. I mean, you mentioned Honeycutt. Casey Cook's off to an unbelievable start. Uh, Parks Harbor can swing. Like, they're just loaded. Um, and you saw him. What I thought was awesome from him was he came out and you could see he was trying to settle into the game a little bit. Um, and then in the second inning, UNC gets a run. They look, you know, guy loses a ball and left. He hits a guy, uh, gives up the double to Alex to, to make it a one nothing game. He's got second and third no outs. And it was almost like you could see a switch flip. Like he had, he, he had um, early in the game, he was like trying to get ahead with the fastball. He was showing split. And then he just emptied, he started emptying the bag once he got into that jam, pitched his way out of it, ends up with 11 Ks through six. Like he was, and like you, what did I learn there is like this is a kid who in, in like a, a, a kind of a regional type environment in a big weekend series against a really good lineup goes out there and just like basically at the first sign of adversity just puts his foot on the other team's throat. It was awesome. Um, and again, on the, the Carolina side, I think what we learned about them is they still have to kind of work out the pitching, uh, specifically starting pitching. Like I think they have arms, especially, you know, we saw guys on, on the weekend, uh, Mike Mathias, who I I think that's how you spell that last name. It's an unbelievable one. Like really good. They, they threw several guys with really good stuff out of the, the bullpen. I thought Boaz had a, had a good start Friday. But after that, kind of on the mound, the starting rotation, they're still kind of searching for things. So it was really fun to – you learned a lot about both teams this weekend. And that's what you want to see in these – like when you get these matchups, neither team ruined their season. Neither team cemented themselves in the regionals. But they – you learned a lot about what each team can and can't do and what they need to get right going into conference play. Yeah, from the that's definitely the main question mark about uh Carolina on the whole. I think their their hitting is going to only get better with how many new guys, quote unquote, they have in that lineup. I mean, obviously Alex is one. You know, Parks Harbor is going to be playing a lot moving forward. You have D'Onofrio, who's a new guy in that lineup. Stevenson's a freshman and Wilkerson's a first-time starter, and Vandenbrake has struggled really to start the year as a guy, really the only returning impact guy of, outside of Azuna and obviously Honeycutt that were at a high level, and Casey Cook to a certain extent last year as a true freshman. But that pitching side, and I think where yesterday kind of leaves a sour taste, I'm sure, in a lot of Carolina fans, players, um, whoever was tuned in, is just the fact that guys that were really effective on Friday in Matthias and Poston were not effective. Those were the guys that gave up crooked numbers. Um, Matthias went an inning in third, three earned. Um, probably get, it was a, a bomb. I'm pretty sure that gave up that kind of cleaned up some things. And then Poston was the one who, who kind of blew it later in the game as the offense kept fighting back. And, you know, we obviously saw a much better outing from Ben Peterson, another friend of the podcast on Saturday where the stuff kind of seemed to play, but, that starting rotation after they lost Jake Knapp is definitely a question mark. They need Ben to be a solid rotation piece as a veteran. You're going to get that good start on Friday that they got. And then, you know, Olin Johnson, that was a tough, tough, tough situation to be in as a true freshman. Second start, good stuff, long kid. He's reclassified, so he's even young for his age. And he steps out there and he's at – the will of East Carolina fans breathing down his neck as he walks the first hitter on four pitches. And it's just like, Ooh, here we go. True freshman. Let's see what you got. And he didn't really show out well, which is concerning, but the stuff is there for him to step up. It's just the bullpen pieces look really good. 
stuff-wise. This is probably one of the better rotations that they've had in recent memory, and that's even with the loss of Knapp. But just so much youth on the mound that brings a lot of question marks that I worry about moving forward, especially when those guys, you assume those guys that kind of got hit around on Sunday are going to be better moving forward. They're their guys moving forward. But it's just one of those things where if you're not going to get length out of your starting rotation, um, it's tough to uh, assume that your offense, especially when you get into ACC play and you start facing better pitching, is going to put you in a position to win many ball games. They might win you a couple, but many is going to be tough. Well, and and not to give them an excuse, but if you're right-handed pitching against ECU's lineup, you better have something that gets lefties out. (laughs) Because they they have about thirty four lefties that can hit yeah. in that ECU lineup. Well, I mean, they'll just bunt their only righty in, in several situations yeah, well. just to, just for good measure, um, and and just for just for vibes purposes. I assume it's just why they why they lay down a bunt and then for just him to hit in front of a really good hitter. Um, Coach Jackson. Godwin loves loves bunting bunting the three yeah. hitter. That's all he seems to want to do. And in another series, that was a pretty big deal this coming this past weekend. uh, TCU swept UCLA. Um, Just huge statement. We talked to Jamie Plunkett last Thursday, I believe. Episode came out Friday. A lot of that was preview content about this team. So if you haven't listened to that already, head back and listen to it. But he said that Florida Gulf Coast put up a better fight than people would envision coming out of the weekend. A lot of people had question marks and alarm bells were ringing about the, the Horn Frogs, and they answered every single one of them with flying colors. Tight win in, in game one, four to three, which you'd expect with Friday on Friday. Saturday, nice little win. And then Sunday, they absolutely just punched UCL in the UCLA in the mouth, right? I, I tweeted it out. I was wondering how many let's goes and and – uh, wake ups were coming out of that dugout after the bottom of the second because that looked like a team that was already on their flight back to Southern California by the time UCLA took the field and Peyton Chotnier let off that game with a home run. So, really impressive series win. Pitching held UCLA to nine runs over 27 innings, which you'll definitely take that, especially considering the offense that. Uh, TCU is going to have throughout this year, but super big statement win out of conference and a really good start as TCU is one of the only few undefeated teams. And even though they had some close scares, they're seven and zero with a lot of high quality wins to start. Yeah. And I, I mean, and Curtis Byrne kind of had a, a coming out party in the middle of that lineup. We talked to Jamie about him a little bit um, on Thursday, six hits, six RBIs, a couple bombs on the weekend. And yeah, like TCU, again, this is another like measuring stick weekend to use that term um, in a non-conference series where you can learn a lot about your team. UCLA, a really good, you know, really good program with good pitching comes into to Fort Worth. And, and it was a test for TCU after, like you said, kind of hobbling a little bit against F8, uh, Florida Gulf Coast, sorry. And people, you know, kind of raising their eyebrows a little bit and TCU just answered, you know, they got much better starting pitching this weekend. You know, uh, they win two tight ball games, which I think would probably make coach Charlus in the way they won them. I know they won close games last weekend, but they were, they were ugly. They were coming back from seven runs. They were having to score double digits every game. And then you turn around and you have to win a couple lower scoring close ball games where you need good starting pitching. You need relievers to come in and hold leads. Um, I know they almost blew it on Saturday uh, uh, where 
UCLA kind of kind of threatened in the middle innings there. But to me, it's like winning those type of close games when you have questions on the mound early in the season against a program like LSU tells you a lot. And then, like you said, it was it was almost most surprising to see then on Sunday you would expect LSU after kind of getting stunned a little bit in the first two games to come out and be on their on their their A game. It looked like they were on the flight back to, to LA and TCU just took it took it to them on Sunday and won how they, they want to win. They bashed and they got a, a good start. Um like that was really impressive. Like this to me, I know I don't you don't want to make any big judgments, but this to me puts TCU up there as like, okay, this is one of clearly the the, the top five teams in the country team that everyone should be paying attention to especially if they can continue to get better starting pitching wise that offense that lineup some of the additions they made guys like Carson Bowen and that sophomore class coming back like that's a really good team that you know this is a big this is a big sweep for them huge sweep huge sweep I mean they have the most impressive resume across the country I don't think there's any question about that with the wins that they have because Florida Gulf Coast and Texas State are both really good clubs they challenged themselves hard at the gates and it looks like it there I mean there's some breathing room moving forward um but they pushed it they pushed the needle early um being in that part of the country you're going to get a lot of competition early in the season and you can because people are going to want to come to you and and they absolutely handled it with flying colors and from the ucla side obviously they're going to fall out of the top 25 it was a really impressive weekend one kind of a dud in weekend two but this is a really young club uh they have a lot of young pieces that are going to be really good pieces in the future it's not time to hop off the ucla bandwagon again we see this a lot of times with young talented clubs uh they kind of hit their stride late at times um, but just given this team, I think that's why they didn't come out with any energy on Sunday, obviously, is when you have a bunch of first-year guys that are now getting punched in the face for their first time, and, and TCU's the veteran club that we know it to be with most guys that have been around college baseball for a little bit of time. That was easy for them uh, to just handle their business and, and take them out and and obviously win that game convincingly in seven innings. I mean, they even implemented the 10-run rule. That's like, woof, we got a flight to get to. Get us out of here, which I don't blame them. If I was a head coach of a program and we were getting dog-walked on a Sunday, I'd be like, can we end this thing in the fifth? Um, you know, we're, we're going to stop at some Chick-fil-A. and or actually, not on Sundays. Can't do that. Stop at Chipotle, <laughs> get ourselves some food, and hit the flight back home and try to get to L.A. and recuperate before next weekend. But really probably as we transition now over into the Globe Life, which is right down the road from TCU – um, probably the news of the weekend, right? We kind of mentioned it in passing, which is really fun when these things happen. Uh, but Hagen Smith, right, punching out 17 in six innings with 15 through five. I don't know if we have any math majors out there, Dan. I know you got your calculator over there. What's 15 divided by three? That would be five, yeah, yeah. He struck out every hitter that he got out through five innings. Super impressive outing that looked like basically like Josh Hader-esque dominance coming from that low three-quarter left-handed slot over the course of six innings where he punched out 17 for a very good. This is not a bad Oregon State lineup by any stretch of the imagination, and he absolutely handled them. He kept Travis Bazana in check, and they were able to win a huge convincing one. But as we talked about before, I even mentioned it in passing. It was like, would you be surprised if... Hagen Smith, after laying a slight egg in game one of the year, comes out and absolutely dominates that Oregon State lineup. 
And he did exactly what that was in one of what is probably the more historic early season outings that we've really ever seen. I mean, pushing a guy six innings, 17 punch outs is absurd. Yeah, it's kind of funny because we were talking about last weekend, like, oh, is there concerns about some of these guys who didn't get off to the best start in their in their 2024 debut? And we talked about him as one of them. And then it's just like, I'll answer those questions. And it's why you never overreact early in the year to anything, right? Like you just kind of try and take in the information, learn from it what you can, but don't make any, you know, bold judgments. Now, if you're in that kind of thing and you want to get as many clicks as possible, go for it. It's just not wise because then you you would look pretty dumb if you sat there last week and said, I'm worried about Hagen Smith. Hagen Smith, you know, not all the hype or whatever. And then he comes out and he faced 22 batters and strikes out. 17 of them that's the stuff you see in like i don't know high school baseball those are high school baseball types of games that you see um that is just unbelievable against the top 10 team in the country that's what i was about to say it's like and then he didn't even do it against much lower competition he did it against a top 10 team with potentially the best offensive bat in the country or one of the hottest offensive bats in the country in bizana he punches them out three times like it was just it was just ridiculously impressive and and um, you know that was a it was a super entertaining weekend uh, all those games there because then the next night Arkansas plays that that awesome extra inning game with Oklahoma State uh, I think it it was a fun weekend for everybody who went down there that wasn't from Ann Arbor Michigan which we kind of expected. Um, yeah. I mean, quite frankly, even if you told Michigan that they were going to go into the weekend and play a tight one on Sunday, they probably would have been relatively happy with that. Uh, I think I could speak for all of them because the schedule that they got lumped with going into that weekend was just nightmare fuel. That 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 right there is nightmare fuel. And I mean, they gave they gave Arkansas all they could handle on that Sunday with a four to three win. Uh, Mason Molina, the transfer from Texas Tech, looked really sharp in that outing, punching out ten through five innings with one walk. A really good, really really good weekend for Arkansas's starting pitching and and Coach Matt Hobbs as as they Seven, obviously they seventeen innings and change of shutout baseball from their starters this weekend. Yeah, I mean that's. They have as good of a starting rotation as any. Obviously, we would kind of put the the Demon Deacons out east in our neck of the woods up there with them. But even holding that Oklahoma State lineup to um, two runs in 14 innings, right? pretty impressive stuff from that rotation that in weekend one, there were, again, the reason there were questions about Hagen Smith is because this is the same old, same old. But if we can get him to settle into something like this where he's, he's dominant, obviously he's not going to punch out do that math 26 batters per nine or whatever it is, 25 batters per nine through the course of a season. But to be able to go in and, and have starting pitching that's guaranteed to keep you in every game, huge, huge for the Razorbacks and huge for them as they get ready to kick off conference play here um, in the next coming weeks. And then obviously on the Oklahoma state side as well, quickly here. Um, I mean, what an impressive weekend. They had a, a rough weekend one because obviously they went down to Sam Houston state struggled a little bit. There was question marks about, as we talked about question marks about the lineup more than the pitching staff, which if you told anybody coming into the year that there were going to be questions about the lineup, not the pitching staff, you'd probably be like, well, they're going to be in a position to win some ball games in weekend two. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, they took care of business. Um, obviously being able to take down Arkansas with that two to one win in extra innings. And then obviously handling Michigan pretty handedly and 
the Sunday egg that comes with that. But leaving that weekend two and one, I'm sure Coach Holiday and company are pretty fired up about what they were able to accomplish in weekend two after a rough weekend one. Yeah, I think, like I said, all three of those teams, Arkansas, Oklahoma State, and, and Oregon State, all have to walk away from the weekend feeling good because, again, you you play in, in something like that and, and three teams that you all expect to be in postseason play and, and kind of be at the top of their respective conferences go down there and they kind of all show it in, in different ways. You know, I thought Oklahoma State, other than Sunday, like you said, the job they did on the mound, we know that they're going to be able to swing the bats um, you know, a couple guys in the in the middle of their order are struggling to start the year, but that's kind of an offense that you expect to heat up as the weather gets warmer and as they get more at bats and deeper into the season. And you know, again, just getting to play that type of competition early in the year and come away two and one, have more of an understanding about your team. I think there's things to be impressed with with all three of them. Um, and, and, and Coach Holiday has to be feeling good going into the Big 12 where, like we just talked about, a team in the Big 12 that's going to be at the top of the pole. So, you know, to show that you can go and compete with teams like Arkansas, who's going to be very similar to TCU, is huge for them. Yeah, definitely. But that that weekend was great baseball. Um, we're going to head down a little bit south from here, and we're going to head down to Jacksonville, Florida, to talk about the fighting Blue Hens taking two out of three against the Jacksonville University, which we're super fired up for our dolphins. good friends up there. Yeah, I just went with the Jacksonville University. Are That's they dolphins, though? I don't know. I have I'm, no I'm, idea. Yeah, Are they close enough to the beach? Because okay. I know uh, their crosstown yeah. friends, North Florida, are the Ospreys. So I don't know if the Jacksonville you University knew, You Dolphins. know North Florida's mascot, but not Jacksonville's. Because remember last week I told you any school that's named the Ospreys, you that's just right. assume that they're she by the beach, the beach. And we I got to talk about Stockton there. College. Stockton, 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 Stockton College, University. which is actually University. University, which is actually 30 minutes from the beach. So you would commit to be an Osprey thinking you're going to spread your wings and fly out into the Atlantic Ocean for your weekends with the boys. And next thing you know, you're stuck in traffic through Vineland down to the beach. (laughs) Right? Cumberland County. On a farm, a back farm road in Cumberland County, New Jersey. Yeah. Which which is not what we wanted there. But across town in the less important series of the weekend in the fighting Blue Hens um, and the fighting Greg Mamulas. Um, is the Jacksonville Baseball Tournament. I would just love to know who came up with the name for that. Actually, it's the Jacks Baseball Tournament. Sorry, Um, but really clever out of Florida. Um, Nothing comes as a surprise out of that state, but UVA handled their business this weekend, right? And that comes as no surprise to anybody. But I think the story of the weekend to most people is the struggles of Iowa, right? This is a team that had a lot of preseason hype. They have a pretty good starting rotation from all standards across um, baseball, and they they struggle. And when, when we say struggled, they got seven hung on them by Auburn, which is not a bad day at anybody. We talked about that coming into the weekend that obviously Brody Breck was on the mound. You're going to expect to win. They were the favorite going into that one. Losing to Auburn is as respectable as anybody can Imagine uh, that's a really good club. They're top 25, according to some publications, fine loss. Losing to Virginia, fine loss. Giving up 12 runs to Virginia as a team that's supposed to be pitching friendly um, in Iowa, not ideal. Giving up 12 runs on Sunday to Wichita State is rough. 
Brody Breck, same old Brody Breck. He only gave up two hits through six innings, one earned run, 11 strikeouts, dominant swing and miss stuff, four walks. Is that going to bite him eventually? The command has not looked as crisp as it did at the second half of the year, but obviously the Iowa Hawkeyes are reeling a little bit. That's including a loss to Lehigh last weekend, which is not the team that you want to be in the loss column against. Um, But this is not a club that's heading in the right direction as they head to Mississippi and have to go to Ole Miss and play a team also that is not playing their best baseball. Yeah, not to jump ahead to a preview, but that's like a backs against the wall weekend series there in, in Oxford next weekend. You got two teams who come in with some decent preseason expectations and two teams who haven't quite gotten off to the stars they wanted. And like you said, Bertie Breck did his job and and I can't even mention, are we sure that I was better than Auburn? And I even put the qualifier on if Bertie Breck isn't on the mound and he was on the mound and you see what happens. It was really the seventh inning. I mean, they gave up pretty much all their runs in the seventh inning. Five of the seven runs come in that seventh inning. You know, it takes two relievers. They send nine guys to the plate. They give up three extra base hits in that inning. And that kind of just started a trend of the weekend for Iowa, like you said. You know, and, and again, that's a really tough – you shouldn't – I try not to be too down on teams who go and play this type of non-conference competition because Auburn and UVA, two really good teams – to lose to them, a lot of teams are going to lose to them this year. That doesn't mean you're you're good or bad, or there should be any panic. It's unfortunate because that's not how you you know you expected to play. But you know, then to give up twelve to UVA, and I think that's probably what would be most frustrating for Iowa is the fact that you know you kind of hit it on the head. It's this this is supposed to be one of the better pitching staffs, a well respected pitching staff in the country, especially starting uh, the starting rotation, and that's kind of what cost you, right? Uh, you didn't really get the the bats necessarily going against against Auburn, you put up five, whatever, but you put up nine runs against a, a really good Virginia team. And then, you know, you get held to six by Wichita State and you give up 12. Um, I think if you had asked people around that program, if we if if we score six runs on Sunday, do you like our chances against Wichita State? And I'm pretty sure a lot of them would say, yeah, we're, we're probably going to win that game. And unfortunately, the pitching staff just didn't do what, what was kind of needed um, to come away and, and – they have to they have to go to Oxford with their backs against the wall and and try and figure it out next weekend. Yeah, obviously Virginia was the team that went three and zero through that weekend, but I guess the team that probably had more questions answered was the Auburn Tigers, right? Being able to go down there, a tight loss to Virginia on Sunday, which again, you know. Playing them on Sunday, that's going to be as tough of a draw as anyway. It's really a battle of attrition once you get to Sunday. And, you know, obviously being able to to lose that game to a really good Virginia team, 6-4, to four, is very respectful, leave the weekend 2-1. Uh, and one. But convincing win against Wichita State, which they ended in mercy rule as well, um, seven innings and a 19-8 to eight barn burner that they rattled off. And then obviously the convincing win against one of the best country or one of the best pitchers in the country um, is really good. I mean, this offense is swinging it really well, ton of power, slugging 500 above 500 as a team. Pitching has been really solid on both sides of the ball. So they're playing really good baseball right now. Um, being able to get a lot from from their lineup as well as their pitching staff is, and that starts to get become an exciting team. Are we going to sit here and say as of February 26 right now that they're going to be the team standing at the end when uh, the SEC championship trophies handed out and potentially even uh, competing for a national championship? No, I don't think that we've seen enough to say that, but to go down there and have more than respectful showing um, respectable showing and, and be able to handle your business is super impressive for a club uh, that, 
there are some question marks around, but they're definitely firmly in at least my viewpoint, a top 25 club right now and, and definitely going to be competing um, in the SEC. Yeah, well, and you said it last weekend that it feels like Auburn last couple of years has been like you look up in their middle of the pack to the back half of the pack in the SEC at the beginning of conference play. And then next thing you know, they're in Omaha. It's just like, how did this happen? And it got like, they're kind of built that way too. Again, everybody's got question marks on the mound this time of year. They're not like anyone else, but offensively you, you box score watching like, man, they got a good offense. And then you see their offense. Like, look, there's some physical teams out there. Auburn's lineup to me just like it looks like they just went over to the football facility and grabbed a bunch of linebackers and and and, and defensive ends and gave them bats and helmets when they come to the plate. I, something Maybe about they them, did. Like the middle of that order, they're just massive. Maybe they did. That's the they're physical. That's, that's the way that they do things around physical. there. Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson played baseball. <laughs> that's true. Was, you know. They're just that's trying true. to. They're just trying to embody what Auburn I, is. Maybe and, it's the uniforms, but like they were wearing the blues, and it was just like I just felt like man, they're like. This team is physical. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. They look good in a uniform. There's no doubt about that. So last thing we'll talk about here, uh, Quip, Coastal bounce back, obviously, after weekend one where they struggled a little bit with a lot of competition. They handled their business beating Illinois, Ball State, and Cincinnati. Um, what are your any takeaways from that standpoint of what Coastal was able to show this past weekend? I just think this is this very much needed weekend for Coastal. It's you know to be a top mid-major team. This time of year is is really important before you get into conference play. To, you want to nab some of these midweek or non-conference games against some really good teams. They have a really good midweek test against Campbell, two really good mid, uh, mid-majors this this uh, coming up tomorrow night. And and so this is kind of what you want to see. And, and I thought it was much needed for them. You know, get in the airport, hit a bunch of homers, feel good about yourselves, be 3-0. Oh yeah, that's always a good one, and and like you said, Campbell's coming south tomorrow to to take them on at their park. That should be a very fun one, very entertaining midweek game between two programs that have started off the season uh, respectfully and and handling their business. So, um, one of the stories of this weekend, um, if for anybody that was checking box scores while they were out at other games or watching other games, scrolling through ESPN Plus, was just some of the unexpected upsets, right? All of these teams ended the weekend two and one. Uh, so none of them had any dire weekends where they were upset um, and lost series, which if you ask any college coach or any head of any program, they'd be fired up just to win series. That's the goal. So you go into the weekend for, um, but in terms of programs beating other programs and names of programs, specifically beating some big programs. Uh, we had Stony Brook who beat LSU on Friday night, five to two. That was unexpected from a lot of standards, uh, but that's not the first time Stony Brook's gone down to the box and, and won some baseball games. So that was pretty cool uh, blast from the past. Kennesaw state took down number 10 Clemson, 18 to one Clemson must've just kicked it in in like the third inning there because that, they, they that score got lopsided there and they were just saving their bullets for the rest of the weekend. That's one thing for any of our coaching friends out there. If you're going to lose, lose when a blowout and save your arms and go win the series. And that's exactly what Clemson did on Saturday. There was a little bit more mayhem going on. Belmont beat number 21, South Carolina, 11 to two Hawaii upset number 13, NC state. Seven to five. Holy Cross beat Kansas State 13 to 10. And then LIU, the big bad Long Island universities, went down to the other coastal town, Coral Gables, and beat Miami. 
Uh, so a lot of fun weekend upsets that kind of make for some interesting conversations of some really impressive programs losing to some smaller schools. And it's always fun to kind of look at those and, and be like, whoa, I did not expect to see that happen. Yeah, early season. This is what we've been warning everyone of. This can happen. And and like you said, all that matters is you win the series. But uh, for the programs who, who pull off these games, for programs like LIU, who hasn't been in Division One baseball that long, uh, to go down and beat a Miami program. That's that's huge for these teams. For Kennesaw State, I mean, to beat Clemson that bad kind of puts yourself on the map a little bit. People are going to you know look out for you, check your scores for the next couple weeks. Um, and that's just awesome. And that can build a lot of confidence And when you're talking about 18 to, I don't know, 28-year-olds nowadays. Uh, you, you, confidence is a powerful drug, and it means so much in the game of baseball. So it's, it's pretty cool to see. And, and uh like it just goes to show you when Wake loses a midweek to UNCG, this is why you shouldn't blink or or, or anything like that. I mean, you look at Stony Brook, Stony Brook uh, upsets LSU and then LSU returns the favor on Sunday and just, you know, kind of beats them like a drum a little bit. So, you know, not nothing to panic about, but definitely interesting. And in what makes college baseball kind of fun is that you got to go out there and, and depending on who's on the mound, like anything can happen that day. Um and, and, you know, for a lot of these teams like LSU and Clemson and South Carolina and, and even NC State bounce back with a win and all is well. Yeah, it's always just it's fun to see those smaller schools actually take down those bigger schools and and give them a, a run for their money when they when everybody expects that those teams were scheduled just to sit there and absolutely get boat raced by a couple of really good programs. But it's always cool to see those programs kind of eke out some wins. So. Last couple things that we want to talk about here before we let everybody go um, as we get closer to recap or previewing the weekend that is ahead. Some notable undefeated teams remaining. We talked about a couple of them today. Uh, we've got the Horn Frogs out of Fort Worth, Texas, Texas Christian University, um, University of Virginia, Alabama, Georgia, and UC Irvine. I know you put down these teams. So what are your kind of thoughts on these teams that are undefeated and, and what are one of the things that you wanted to to point out in regards to them? I think it just goes to – like this kind of just further – I just wanted to further prove the point that you're going to lose in college baseball and a lot of times you're going to lose within your first seven games. A lot of these teams have played seven, eight games and the fact that we're looking at pretty much a list of – you know, I didn't – I didn't comb through all 130 plus division one schools, but you comb through the list and like, here's some notable programs that everybody's heard of that are undefeated. And it's a list of five and only two of them are in the top, you know, 15 of your rankings, two of them are in the top 10 of your rankings. So it just goes to show you that, that, you know, teams, you're going to get beat. And when you play 56 yeah. games, you're going to get beat, but also really good job by these, these schools, TCU and UVA specifically, who have had a little bit tougher schedules than, than Bama, Georgia and UC Irvine, who haven't really had the toughest of tests, but you know, Miami hasn't had a tough test yet and they've, they've dropped one. So I just kind of wanted to throw it out there as, as uh, kind of like, this just goes to show you that um, it's tough to continuously win and, and through at least, you know, seven games, these schools have taken care of business and it'll be interesting to kind of see if they get any love moving forward, especially, you know, with Bama, Georgia and, and Irvine can kind of sneak into rankings here. I wouldn't expect it yet, but uh, Bama might move up in the polls. Yeah, definitely. Bama's already in the top 50, top 20 ish. Yeah. So um, they'll probably creep up, creep up the polls with an impressive start to the year. There's a lot of talent in Bama. A lot of the question marks just come with the fact that, Nobody knows what's going to happen after you lose your coach and 
unexpected ways. Uh, we don't need to dive into that one. Another team that's off to a really good start is the Yellow Jackets out of Atlanta, Georgia, Georgia Tech. Uh, they're six and one right now, and specifically Drew Burris, uh, true freshman. He's hitting three sixty-seven with five bombs and fourteen RBIs to start his career. He's a guy that's arguably the most talented player to step on campus. Uh, quite frankly, uh, you very rarely do guys of his talent level get to campus. Obviously, as we've seen um, in the draft of recent years, but we're talking about a Dylan Cruz level. Oh, this guy got to campus three year starter level talent. That's going to be in the top half of the first round in, in a couple of years. So um, definitely an impressive player, ton of juice showing case in those abilities. He's up. He's going to be in for a big freshman year. I don't envision this slowing down anytime soon. It's impressive to see how good dream start to your college career, especially when you're five, 982 pounds, probably growing up, had a lot of people telling me couldn't obviously at the end of his high school career, like you said, turns into one of the best players in the country. Um, but I, even when you're one of the best getting on campus, power power program to come out and, and start your season like that is just pretty cool. Yeah. So you're telling me you'd rather be drew Burris than me starting my career over 20 with 16 strikeouts. Is that, is that a real stat? It's like one for 24 with like 18. Yes. <laughs> I got to I gotta hit Sam somewhere, Sam, which in the middle. Go. A little backside knock. I'll appreciate that. You want to know, you want to know the no, worst part about it. No, you a spinner down the left field line. No, right. the worst part was, I don't remember what it was. I, it wasn't that memorable. I was sweating. You want to know what I do remember? He's okay. going backside single to right field. And a guy on first, we don't have to name him by name. He knows who he is. Gets freaking canned at second base for the for the old the old nine, nine five six. four or nine six force out for my for my o for eighteen or whatever it was. Throw a name out there. Give him a shout out on friend. Line. Hope he's doing well. Friend friend of the podcast, Mitchell Clemens, still a good friend of mine. Um, but yeah, unhitch the wagon, Mitch. What are we doing? <laughs> yeah, that was brutal. Freeze on the line, man. Got him. Just freaking right in the right field. <clears throat> Dot stretch it. Well, also shows stretches. you where the right fielder was playing against you. You were in such a you were in such a tailspin. They had the coaches were come on in. Yeah, come on he, in. He doesn't have a hit on his college career. And, yeah, come on uh, in. <laughs> Oppo gap. He's in in the bottom of the order right now. Um, yeah, bring it in. Yes. So maybe we will take extreme ownership of that and, and I'll take responsibility for the fact that maybe I wasn't good enough to, to have a right fielder play a respectable distance, which led to me hitting a line drive to, to right field that resulted in a, um, in a force out at second base, which was brutal, but we ended up scraping one by not going to, we almost saw, we almost, you and I almost saw a nine, three put out to end a game this weekend. Mm -hmm. Good old, uh, uh, somersault running down the first baseline from uh, from from a Delaware native. So not representing Delaware great. Um, good knock though. Good swing. Two strike swing. Um, if I'm not mistaken. So good good two strike approach out of out of the hitter, and then just absolutely had to put a little flair for the dramatic. Do a somersault as his ball right fielder was getting the ball. Gets up in stride. No question. That was impressive. That was that was the most impressive part. There was no panic. It was just get on your feet. Get through the bag, baby. Get through the bag. So in more, since we're on the negative side, let's talk about a couple of programs that are starting the year on a bad note, right? We have the Louisville Cardinals, who, as we mentioned, we talked about this before the weekend, didn't have a great lat season last year. Um, that has not been the norm out there. And 
this year has not started off great. A loss to St. Bonaventure, which for those that don't know where St. Bonaventure is or what they do up there, because they don't do much, it ain't baseball. They are not known for their baseball programs. I could say that much. And for them to come down and take even just one from Louisville was not ideal. And that's a program that looks like it's at a crossroads here where they recruit at a high level. They've done everything right over the past couple years. It really seems to have hit in the skids over the last year and a half. Whatever that is, I don't know. Um, can't say for certain what, what exactly it is, but something's got to change moving forward. And then Stanford, who coming into the year, a lot of people were, were high on. They graduated a ton. That lineup last year was great. They lost their top uh, top starting pitcher. They're 2-5 and five after losing back-to-back home series to start the season, one including a Penn State team that has a full new regime um, and – People even in state college don't envision this is going to be the year that they're competing at a high level. For them to go out west and beat the Stanford Cardinals, that that was pretty tough. Yeah, the Louisville thing, like it just feels like there's a, a cloud over that that program right now, whatever it is. Um, hopefully they can get it turned around because, you know, everybody kind of – you're talking about for the at least seven, eight years before last year, you're talking about a, a premier program. Uh, a team that a lot of people would preseason pick to be in Omaha, a team that, that, you know, was one of the best teams in the country and a team that, you know, was at the top of the ACC for a while. So hopefully they can get things straightened out, but that's, it's just a, not a great way to start when you're, when you're coming off a year, a down year like that, you feel like you got things turned around. It's a new year. This is not how you want to start. So they're going to have to handle some adversity and they got to kind of get things it really turned around before conference play starts because the ACC is is really deep this year, um, as it is every year. But uh, and then and then Stanford Stanford's a weird one. Uh, Stanford they lost some some a uh, ton of pieces off last year's team, so that's a new roster. Um, um, but they've got a lot of work to do. Starting two and five isn't fun, especially like you said, no one really expected them to uh, lose a series to Penn State. But I think Penn State made a really good hire and I think they have a really good coaching staff there and I would expect them to get the most out of what they have right now. You can already see some additions they made through the portal. Um, and I would expect them to get the most out of what they have and then, you know, really recruit moving forward and kind of turn things around in happy Valley. Um, so that's an exciting, you know, to not be completely negative here. That's a really exciting series win for Penn state and just kind of the future of getting that momentum rolling. And that's sometimes this can be as a fan, strictly as a fan, this can be one of the more fun years is like when you when you get a new coaching staff in who, you know, is going to kind of change the tides when you've been down as a program and you can just enjoy the minor victories. And there aren't a ton of expectations and oh, we have a top recruiting class and we're ranked this and that, and you know, because then you start worrying about even when you win, you start worrying about where the wins even good enough. You know, Penn State's football program deals with that right now, right? You're like, well, they won the game. <laughs> it's like, who cares how they won? Um, so this can be really fun. So I think if you're a Penn State fan, you know, following this team, like this is this year should be a really exciting year to see what Coach Gambino and his staff, you know, what they can get out of this roster and, and what they're going to do moving forward in recruiting. You should be optimistic. SMH. Drew Aller doesn't throw the deep ball enough, Trevor. I know. Yeah, but we won the game. won the game. They won the game. But that was yeah. But that was valid. Um, (laughs) So, also, if you look at, I don't know what happened on between games. I mean, if I was in Louisville's clubhouse, I would have been saying something. But 
after losing game one of the doubleheader on Friday, the rest of the weekend, 21 to three in seven innings, 15 to two and 18 to 11. So is this a turning? I mean, they have four games, five games, six, seven, eight. They should go on an eight game winning streak, nine, 10. Arguably, they go all the way through Lipscomb uh, before they host Virginia Tech as they open ACC play. So, or actually, no, yes, host ACC play. Northwestern comes in town, and that's a program that they should handle pretty clearly um, after Youngstown State and Moorhead State. So they could get rolling here. This is a team that's as talented as any, but they start off ACC play with uh, the Hokies and then the Demon Deacons. Um, so got to get right, but for all positives that could come out of it, a couple wins by touchdowns is a pretty good start. 21 to three. That looked like Louisville playing St. Bonaventure football. Uh, uh. Yeah. Well, and, and, and yes, as, as expected. And that's what I'm talking about is like, you can't feel good as a Louisville fan, even though you, you ended up winning that series. And like you said, you put up a ton of runs because again, when you start to have expectations as a program, like you're like, okay, great. But you still lost that one game to them. And, and like you said, you look at the start of, ACC play can go even further. They really don't get a break in ACC play till the end of the year. You know, if you don't get things turned around by conference play, you, Virginia Tech, as you said, Wake Forest, Florida State, NC State, UVA, at Miami, Clemson. That's how you start ACC play. Like, that can be brutal. If Miami was at home, you'd feel a little bit better about it, but you got to go down there. And, like, those other teams right now are much better than you are. So, like, you you really got to get things rolling and turned around before conference play gets started because that is a gaunt. They got no favors in the schedule this year. Yeah. Pitching staff needs to step it up. Um, no doubt about that. Pitching right now currently to a 5.88 against okay competition. Yeah, uh, outside of Indiana State, we, no one really – right. Yeah. This is a team that – um has been known for their pitching, and that's not exactly what you envision from from that team and, and what that staff's capable of doing. But, Dan, obviously we got some midweek games coming up. Pretty fun one tomorrow in Coastal and uh, Campbell. But any closing thoughts before we let our listeners get out of here? Enjoy the midweek madness. Don't be surprised if there are some uh, scores you aren't expecting throughout the week. Always. Always never be surprised about that. But thank you to our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple Pods, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcast. Make sure you head to YouTube, subscribe to the Backside Ground Balls media YouTube page. Check that out. We got a ton of good content that's going to be coming out over the next couple days and weeks. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB. Instagram at Backside Ground Balls and TikTok at Backside Ground Ball. Most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast.